Previous to COVID, Marichi and myself had always felt like we were waiting for something, you know, someone to back us or something to happen that would allow us our dream of having our own venue. But um, yeah, we decided to just start. <laughs> it is my happy duty as a food critic to walk into many food businesses in the course of daily life. Sometimes you walk in somewhere and the first thing that strikes you is the way it feels. That was the case for me when I walked into Lumen People, a beautiful, sunny, spirited cafe in North Melbourne. I really wanted to find out more about this lovely place. So today we are chatting to co-owner Emma Sheehan to find out the backstory. Emma, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm really excited to chat to you and find out more about Lumen People, uh, how it came to be and how you've created that very special atmosphere that infuses the place. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Um, so Lumen People is a very small footprint cafe, wine bar, eatery in North Melbourne. Uh, it has 30 seats. Um we went into this project uh, in the last quarter of last year with one clear vision uh, that is for light-hearted, unpretentious, authentic, people-first hospitality. Everything for my co-owner, Marichi Clark, and myself was a variable, but that was one thing that we set out to achieve. Um, so yeah, Lumen People's just a, a nice little footprint cafe in North Melbourne. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I mean, you, you're very clear in how you describe it. Um, and I think that comes through. It's really a pleasure to go somewhere that has such a clear through line. Um, these things, of course, don't spring from nowhere. So tell me about what you and Marici were doing before you started the business. Yeah, so Marichi and myself both come from like long careers in hospitality. We, uh, Marichi has been in the industry nearly 20 years, myself 10 to 15, um, working in all areas. Um, Marichi comes from a career in kitchens originally, uh, then jumping ship into specialty coffee when that was all blooming in the early 2000s. And then as he matured, moving up the ranks into management. Myself, being a little bit younger, I was inspired by watching the bloom of specialty coffee and jumped in from there. Um, very luckily, already having quite a lot of information from the generation ahead of me um, in pursuit of wanting to be the best roaster that I could be. And then... Due to like my love of people and working into teams, moving into HR, the HR space and the operational space. Um, and then from there, we, you know, we were, Marici started out working at Proud Mary and Seven Seeds and then moved to Sydney where we met together working at the Paramount Coffee Project. And then when COVID hit, we both came back to Melbourne uh, and worked for Seven Seeds and Wide Open Road, respectively. And then after riding the wave of COVID, working both as general managers within Seven Seeds and Wide Open Road, respectively, we felt we were ready to do our own venture. 
So that, so, yeah, that <laughs> that summarizes. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I love this journey through coffee and through really some iconic names in Australian um, caffeination. So, yeah, I'm sure you guys have got me through many days with your work in all of those different businesses. Um, what did you learn from working in those, I guess, quite large, um, you know, independent you know, interesting really leaders in in both coffee and cafe, the cafe world. What did you learn from those businesses that helped you shape what you wanted to do in your own place? Um, one key thing really ties all of those businesses together, and that is uh, a love of coffee, a love of provenance, a love of uh, tasting really delicious fresh crop coffee. Um, it's something that Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane love, <laughs> you know, fresh crop, delicious coffee straight out of the container, roasted and drunk as quickly as possible. Um, so yeah, that's one thing that they all have in common. Another thing is just like, uh, a respect of people and celebrating people and trying to get the best out of people. So, yeah, I guess that's <laughs> there are some key things that we took from those businesses. And I suppose something that seems quite different at Lumen People is the size of the cafe itself. So, I mean, when you thought about opening a business, how did you approach that size of it, the scale of it? Well, for us, having worked in, in Seven Seeds and Wide Open Road and the Paramount Coffee Project, all three of those venues being 80 seats plus, we knew firsthand how much of an operation it is to run them, um, how many hands you need. When something like COVID happens, how quickly you can lose those hands and still have a massive space to run. So for us, we felt there was a sense of intimacy and simplicity from having a smaller footprint. So Lumen People is only 30 seats. <laughs> it's much smaller. <laughs> so is that about, I mean, is that also about the amount of money it costs to start a business? I mean, were there other businesses that um, that you could look to for inspiration as you started to, to shape your vision? Yeah. So Marici and I went on a trip last June uh to Hobart and that coincided with Dark Mofo uh, and we went to all of these beautiful venues. We went to Sunny, we went to Sunbear, we went to Tom McHugo's, all of these very small footprint, very humble venues and their hospitality was excellent <laughs> and having come from such a big city um, full of million dollar fit outs, full of restaurant groups. We had sort of felt like doing something ourselves was so unattainable, but being in Hobart made us feel like maybe it was a possibility for us. <laughs> I love this, um, reverse inspo because I think, you know, so many people, I think still, even though, you know, people from everywhere go to Tasmania because of how amazing it is and, and definitely the, the great hospitality and produce is part of that. Um, I'll just to give a quick shout out to a series that we've been, been doing on the producers, um, my other podcast, which is all about farmers in northern Tasmania and just, you know, the great, oh, the efforts that people are going to to, to create 
um, short ethical food supply chains and, you know, great produce, looking after the soil, all that all that good stuff. But I think so often there is still this sense that, you know, people in Tassie come to the big island for inspo where it's l- lovely to hear about it going the other it's way. The opposite. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's that's very opposite. cool. Um, the spirit of hospitality is well and truly alive in Tasmania. The spirit is there, maybe stronger than in Melbourne sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. And I think, um, you know, being being stretched or having to keep things quite contained in a business sense can often make the focus really clear. You really have to decide what you want to do and, when you know, what you want to be because you, you simply can't be all things to all people. Um so how did, you know, talk, talk, talk us in more detail about how Lumen came to be, you know, the space, the way you thought about the food and drink offering and how you wanted it to reflect um, your values. Yeah. So first things first, um, our kitchen's tiny. We have an oven, we have a grill, we have a sandwich press and we have an induction cooktop. So before we even started thinking about food, we already had that as a restriction. Uh, That restriction excited us, to be perfectly honest. Um, Yeah, if you're working with good ingredients, you shouldn't have to do too much to them. Uh, Secondly, from our experience of having worked in quite a few other businesses, we were feeling pretty bored with avocado on toast and eggs with sides it's been done you can go anywhere to get it we wanted to break the cycle of eggs with sides and avocado on toast and really everywhere that we can in our offerings lean into seasonality Um, seasonality with food seasonality with coffee seasonality with yeah, with everything in our business. So that really influenced how we how we went about those things. Um, yeah. I think um, people are used to uh, food, uh, people talking about seasonality. I think people are, you know, in all parts of society, we're sort of getting back to understanding that food is seasonal but I think we've still got a long way to go in Australia with thinking of coffee as a seasonal product can you can you explain the way that you think about coffee yeah so in the same way as you wouldn't eat a tomato in winter and expect it to taste great you probably wouldn't drink an Ethiopian in March and expect it to taste great um Coffee is grown all the way around the equatorial line. It's basically like high altitude, um, low oxygen, cooler climate areas. Um, And every country has its own harvest season. Um, So, for example, Colombia harvests around January, December to February, and arrival is usually between May and April. So for Colombians, they always taste best, you know, from that April onwards period. They're never going to taste better than in that eight to 12 weeks after arrival period. Um, The clarity's there, the complexity's there. They taste like where they came from. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, so we just really wanted to, like, celebrate that 
and serve coffees when they taste their best. Um, in my co-owner, Marichi Clark's famous words, um, life's too short to drink defective coffee. <laughs> so <laughs> he's, Have uh, you got that on a tote bag yet? <laughs> next, next season we'll have that on a tote bag. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, we create a coffee menu around the season. It changes pretty, pretty regularly. And we partner with quite a few great roasteries that uh, have the same values as us. Seven Seeds, of course, is a champion of that. Small batch, field work, sample up in Sydney, made of many in Sydney. They're all champions of working with good importers or importing themselves and roasting and serving coffee that is like at its best, tasting its best, fresh from origin. I mean, it's a it's a couple of months on the boat, right? Or oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, is that a danger period for coffee, or is that fine? If it's uh, processed well at origin and uh, put in a given a barrier, whether that's a, a, a put in a vacuum sealed container or put in a, a grain pro like plastic covering, it should be okay. But importing coffee is a gamble. There has been times, so many times. I often, uh, I run into Andrew Kelly who owns Small Batch. He lives uh, meters away from us. And I always ask him how his day is going. And his response is always, about a container that's floating somewhere in the ocean. <laughs> you know, Colombians haven't landed yet. Colombian, you know, like Ethiopians are on the water. So I think for people who do bring in their own coffee, it's it's a great concern. It's a great risk. You're bringing in thousands of kilos of coffee at a time. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a risk. But coffee will never taste as good as when it just arrives. <laughs> mm, love that. And I think it's it's great. It's a great thing to look out for as a consumer to, I suppose, go to people that care about about that, um, that are tuned into it and, yeah, to experience a difference. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Emma, can you talk about the, the fit out and the branding of Lumen People? I, I wrote about the cafe recently and tried to describe it. Um, I won't tell you how I tried to describe it in case it's embarrass in case I'm embarrassing myself. So I'll let you do it. Um, how would you, how would you how would you describe it, and how did that all come together? Um, the fit out is very pared back, I would say. Um, we have some wood elements. We have white walls. We wanted people to feel relaxed and bright and happy, and I feel like with less stimulus and like less clutter, you have the opportunity to really zone out. Um, we worked with a brand agency uh, called Susu Studio. Dane and Kasha own that and operate it uh, from their studio in Fitzroy. And we, we came to them already having started uh, clamoring away at the fit out, but hoping for a visual identity to go with it. <laughs> Um, and they did an excellent job. They really listened um, and they made something really beautiful and unique for us. Um, beautiful use of colour. Uh, we use a lot of orange and brown and very like primary interesting colours. Um, we have beautiful upcycled Thonet chairs that I 
found wherever I could get my hands on <laughs> um, and tried to utilize a little bit of organic material where we could. So there's uh, some canvas that we found in a camping store that we tacked to the espresso bar. We used beautiful American oak on our tabletops um, and just tried to keep everything as open and organic and allow the light to come in as much as possible. And, I mean, did you – were you saving up to do this or did you go to the bank um, or, um, like, how did it well, – we did everything we could. <laughs> <laughs> we did everything we could. Um, Rishi and I both took out loans. We have credit cards. Um, we had a little bit of savings, luckily enough, uh, just – from hospitality being closed, <laughs> we're both avid spenders within the hospitality scene, the sort of folks that, you know, go out every week, every multiple times a week. And honestly, without that being as accessible over the last three or four years, we had more money than we would normally have. <laughs> That's so interesting. Uh, it's a little bit dark, but um, yeah, um, we definitely um, leveraged ourselves to the eyeballs Um and we are still leveraged to the eyeballs, trying to slowly pay that back. I know that, you know, your focus, um, you know, we, with the evenings, perhaps especially, you know, that it should be accessible, that it's not a massive commitment, you know, in, in time or in planning ahead or in money. Um, you know, how are you sort of and balancing that? I mean, you had experiences, general managers, you know, like I assume you're not scared of a, of a spreadsheet. But, um, you know, how has it been envisaging what you want to do and, and certainly making it feel a certain way, but then coming up against, you know, the realities of, you know, cost of goods or, um, you know, award, award wage, wage rises, um, you know, work cover suddenly increases. I mean, how has the, um, the dream and the reality um, clashed or coalesced? Yeah, that's a very, very interesting question. Um, first and foremost, we started off by scrapping the model that we had both existed in in previous businesses. We wanted to start off by paying everyone above award. Um, maybe that also stops us from being a part of the award for the next few increases. Um, but we wanted to create a model that didn't just um, have our staff living paycheck to paycheck, but allow them to sort of thrive in their roles and come to work and feel energized and having done things in their weekend. So first and foremost, uh, people first, everyone who works for us is on a four day, 34 hour work week. Um, and they're all paid, um, you know, 60K plus basically um, for those hours as if they were working 38 hours because it's a people business where <laughs> you, we're, we're looking after people as they come through the door. We want them to feel like we want everyone that comes through the door to feel welcomed and like they're a part of the journey. So we need our staff to be rested um, and in good spirits and happy to be there and not resenting the experience. So well, that's where we started with the model. <laughs> like it's hard to change a model over time, but to build a model from the get go that incorporates that, um, yeah, was where we started. 
Secondly, mm. our our food, um, we just cost things appropriately. As as you said, not shy of a spreadsheet. Um, everything is very accurately costed before it goes on a menu. Our coffee is definitely on the more expensive side. In fact, we have quite a few honest conversations with people and try to explain it to the like our patrons as they come through the door in a really honest and um, in a way that doesn't polarize them. We've got a 95% success rate with that. <laughs> but yeah, everything is just costed to, um, to hopefully build a complementary model that breaks even. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, the cost of coffee is such a flashpoint for 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 consumers and for businesses. You know, cafes notoriously are terrified to put their coffee up. You know, ten cents a cup because they feel their customers will go down the road. I mean, what? So, what is a, a what are the what do the coffees cost at Lumen? Um, to buy a small milky coffee is five fifty. Okay, love that. And that just feels like what it should be, or does that still feel like it's um, at the lower end? Even even from February to now, it's probably not enough. I know that quite a few of the other leaders uh, in Melbourne have increased their price from five fifty. <laughs> like I think Market Lane and Small Batch are now six, which is appropriate when you're using organic milk. And fairly traded, thoughtfully processed coffee. Um, yeah, it's interesting when you're trying to. I know you. You know you're also realistic about your customers, and you know that you want it to be, I suppose, a welcoming place in terms of affordability as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a fine balance of making everything work and keeping it accessible. Um, yeah, I think more people should just drink smaller coffees. <laughs> like, but on the other end of having worked in in the wholesale department of a coffee company, um, the most common thing is that wholesale departments are like also on the break even. You know, they're trying their hardest to stay in the green each week um, and they're working with wholesale partners that historically are trying to always negotiate them down. <laughs> like, I don't think many um, many cafes know how how much it costs to put coffee in a bag and send it out the door. It costs, you know, between twenty and twenty five dollars to do it thoughtfully. Yeah, which is like when you think about how much wholesale coffee normally is. It's between. Uh, historically between like 28 and 35, there's like not much of a margin for a roastery. Yeah, wow. That Those are pretty stark figures. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, Emma, uh, going back in time a little bit, you mentioned that you started um, in coffee when, you know, the third wave had already bloomed. What, what took you into this world? Was, was hospitality always something that you wanted to get into? It was an accident. It was a very happy accident. I um, remember when I was like 10 or 11 years old thinking I like, I love food way more than the people around me. Food is so delicious. I remember like sitting in my backyard. I grew up on a farm, like looking out over the paddocks, 
going, I love food more than everyone else (laughs) and feeling like I didn't really know what to do with my life, but I just wanted to make people happy and do something with purpose. Um, So, yeah, I finished school. I moved to Sydney. I started studying. I lived with my aunts who are avid diners. They love to eat. They love to drag me everywhere. So I got to eat a little bit around Sydney before I moved home to Brisbane, uh, where the week I got back to Brisbane, a friend of mine was working front of house in a cafe and said she needed someone and I didn't have a job. So that's where I started. (laughs) And it just sucked me in. That was that was that. I did one little induction coffee training with the roaster we were working with and from there out I was in pursuit of becoming the best roaster in Australia. (laughs) It really sucked me in quite quickly. I abandoned studying almost immediately. I I was in wholeheartedly. I love that. I just love this image of of you on the farm, just this realization. And what do I do with this? Yeah, that's that's so beautiful. Um, it always felt like more of an interest, and maybe not uh, a pursuit, a career pursuit. But yeah, how wrong I was. Um. <laughs> I, it it makes me want to ask you about your relationships with farmers now because produce and as you say when you've got good produce you don't have to do much to it um you you put the you know you name check the farmers on the menus it's obviously a big part of the lumen ethos yeah um so I guess my my interest or my attention for relationships with farmers actually started when I was in Brisbane I um was lucky enough to work in and amongst a group of cafes and restaurants that were all working with the same farm called Loop Growers. And Loop um, was growing, growing food, sending it to restaurants, taking their compost and using that. They're still doing it. They, they haven't stopped since I left Brisbane. I wasn't holding it together. Um, and they, they had this entirely closed loop system of growing veggies, taking compost, and that always – and I used to volunteer on that farm as well, and it, it felt very, very genuine and very grassroots and, like, everyone was helping each other and all of the restaurants and cafes had something in common, and it was so beautiful. Um, so – and I felt like in Sydney when I lived there that – that was missing and I felt like when I the first few years that I was in Melbourne that I never found a relationship like that until Lumen (laughs) so um in setting up Lumen um every week we would see Chloe and Jared from um uh from Dog Creek Growers pull up in their their van with their dog and carry the crates of vegetables over to Manze, the Mauritian restaurant around the corner. Um, and every week I'd, you know, stop for a chat with them and, you know, just pat their dog and, um, yeah, I don't know, just ha- have a yarn. Uh, and then that relationship uh, developed further into them just like bringing us zucchinis when they had extra zucchinis and, us swapping it for a coffee and then 
from there, we started buying produce from them. And yeah, somehow through the setup of Lumen, we've managed to recreate this sense of community and connection that I had in Brisbane. And since uh, bringing on Stephanie Liu, who's our head chef, we've been able to grow that even further. Um, bringing on more farms. We're now working with Somerset Heritage as well. They're up in Seymour and being able to know our farmers and have a relationship with them and ask them what's coming up and plan a menu based on that and have it be more grassroots and have a relationship with our farmers. Um, and yeah, as time goes on, we hope to only operate that way as we develop more of a relationship with our farmers. Yeah, I think it's a really lovely movement in cafes where produce is being more highlighted and it's, um, yeah, it is so nice. I think so much of what we would have thought of as, you know, a fine dining approach has um, filtered through to cafes and I think in, sometimes that's because people that are working in cafes have left restaurants because they want different hours or they want, you know, to um, do other things with their evenings and weekends. Um, but, yeah, it's it, however, what, for whatever reason, I think it's it's such an important um, such an important shift to have this awareness of um, seasonality and connection to the land in people's daily lives, not as something that's um, perhaps uh, you know that people relate to a more I don't know expensive elevated experience. You know when you're um, choosing to go out for dinner and going to a special restaurant. I think it's it's so important that it's just normal. Yeah. Um, working with primarily vegetables as well allows us to be more generous, which um, we're, we're not vegetarian by any any stretch, but we are very like produce front and center. So you'll always find the key key thing in any of our menu items will be like the vegetable, the pumpkin, um, the sweet and sour onions. Um, yeah. And that allows us to be more generous, more generous. We want people to leave feeling full and like they're ready to continue on their day. And sometimes that can even be lost in fine dining. I've definitely left a restaurant and not felt very full. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah. Emma, one of the reasons I was so keen to have you on the podcast is that it's this is your first business, but it feels like you've been doing this for years. It's just got a really clear sense of itself. Um, I, I feel like it's an inspiring story for other people that might be thinking about making that leap. What advice could you give somebody who's wondering if, um, you know, now is the time to take the plunge and um, create their own business? Um, my first piece of advice is it's a marathon. Um, don't wreck yourself too early. You've got to figure out uh, a model that's sustainable for a long time to come. So um, just do what you can. Don't wait for the opportunity to be able to do your wildest, you know, wildest dream of a model. Just do what you can with what you have. We started off just doing days because it's all that we had the resources for in the beginning. And then six months into our operation, we extended into night times when we felt we had the resources and the capacity and that our daytime service felt well and good. Um, my second piece of advice is 
things things cost money. <laughs> things cost money. Um, so yeah, be prepared for that and have a plan for that. But maybe not as much money as you think. Um, yeah, you can reuse, upcycle. Um, there's a lot of kitchen equipment going on Facebook Marketplace at any given time. So even if it's not your dream dream kitchen setup, you can always upgrade over time. Um, just start somewhere. I know um, previously, previous to COVID, Marichi and myself had always felt like we were waiting for something, um, you know, someone to back us or something to happen that would allow us our dream of having our own venue. But um, yeah, we decided to just start. <laughs> I, th I think another thing, Emma, that you said earlier might also be a piece of great advice, which is to see restriction as an opportunity or as a chance to be creative. Yes. Emma, it's been really, really great to chat to you. I love what you're doing at Lumen People. It just feels so good. And that feeling when you walk in is completely backed up by the warm and friendly service, the beautiful veg-focused produce-centred, seasonally expressive food, um, and the coffee. Um, I feel like I, yeah, I had two coffees and I learnt something by drinking each one as well as um, being nicely, brightly caffeinated. So, yeah, thank you and all the best with, um, uh, yeah, gunning it into the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Yeah, absolute pleasure. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.